Hello and welcome to Quidditchivia's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Quidditchivia's. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew Cartwright, investment manager based out of our Birmingham office, and this week, and after a well-deserved break, I'm delighted to welcome back regular commentator and head of fixed interest, Richard Carter, and to be joined by Jamie Maddock, our global energy and materials equity research specialist. Welcome, Richard and Jamie. So the main news headlines came from the US last week, where following several weeks of political uncertainty, last Wednesday, the House of Representatives passed a bill to raise the US debt ceiling. That was very quickly followed by approval from the upper chamber, the Senate, who on Thursday also passed the bill by 63 votes to 36 before being signed by President Biden. The agreement raises the US borrowing limit until 2025 and sets caps on government spending for the next two years. More importantly, it avoids the risk of the US going into default. The raising of the debt ceiling in the US is in itself nothing new, but it can lead to political standoffs. And in 1995, the US government shut down after President Clinton refused to meet demands for expenditure cuts before a compromise was eventually reached. This also happened again in 2013 when the government shut down for 16 days and President Obama's debt ceiling crisis in 2011 led to U.S. Treasury debt being downgraded by the credit rating agency Standard Poor's from its AAA rating and also caused a sharp sell-off in equities. Richard, you mentioned in your podcast a few weeks ago when speaking with Vanessa Eve that you thought an agreement to raise the debt ceiling would eventually be reached. But as we've seen on previous occasions and where politics are involved, nothing can be taken for granted. The US was actually scheduled to go to default this week, so the passing of the bill did come pretty close to the wire. But overall, there doesn't seem to have been the same reaction in financial markets that we saw in 2011. The US equity market, at least the technology sector, has been buoyed over the past few weeks, as have some of the major international equity markets. Richard, what is your take on the events of last week in the US and the reaction of financial markets? And whilst the bill was eventually passed, the devil is often in the detail. Is there anything in the bill, perhaps concessions or compromises, which might be a concern further down the road? Um, I mean, I don't think there's the, the sort of concerns that I might have, Andrew, probably nothing compared to what it would have been like had the you know debt ceiling not been uh, sorted out and, and the bill passed. And I think you know, market markets never got into a situation where they were really worried about it. I don't think we saw any kind of major, major sell-off or major wobbles. And, and the assumption, you know, like you mentioned, was eventually this would get done. And actually, the talk, you know, sort of the mood coming out of the talks for the last couple of weeks has been reasonably positive. So it's good to see that um, although it got pretty close to the wire, we never really got to the situation where it, you know, it looked like they were they were going to default or anything like that. So I mean, going forward. I mean, as always, you know, as Biden, Joe Biden's kind of said, no one gets everything they want in the in the negotiation. Um, there are a few caps on, you know, government spending over the next couple of years or so, um, but I don't think it's going to have a, a massive impact on, uh, you know, U.S. economic growth or anything like that. The um, the Treasury as well, you know, it's been running down its cash balances over the last few weeks. It's going to have to build those back up, and, and partly it will do that. Uh, by issuing a lot of uh, treasury bills. So, you know, potentially that could sort of suck a bit of liquidity um, out of the market. But I think overall, 
um, you know, markets can breathe a sigh of relief and, and look forward. And I don't think, as I say, I don't think we really ever um, got too got too close to it. So that's we got too close to a de- default. So that's why we haven't seen some sort of massive uh, massive rally in markets uh, over the last few days. And inflation is, of course, very much an ongoing story at the moment. And in terms of the latest update, it was reported last week that the inflation rate in the eurozone has fallen to 6.1%, the lowest level since Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, with inflation in eurozone having peaked at over 10% during the last quarter of 2022, this follows the sharp downward trend seen in the US, albeit with a slight lag, as inflation had peaked in the US a few months before. Whilst inflation in the UK has fallen to 8.7%, it is remaining stubbornly high and is lagging both the US and the Eurozone in terms of timing and the rate of decline. Now, Richard, some of the key drivers of inflation, such as oil and energy prices, are set by global wholesale markets. So what is the difference in the UK that is causing the decline of inflation to lag? And with Germany having recently announced that it's officially a recession due to inflationary pressures, surely it's just a matter of time before the UK follows. Uh, poten- uh, potentially, yes, especially given where interest rates uh, are heading. I mean, UK is a has been a bit of an inflation outlier in a way, although maybe I think as the year goes on, we'll probably sort of catch up with places like uh, Europe and the US and inflation will come down. I think there are kind of three main areas where the UK's got a bit of a problem. Uh, one, like you mentioned, um, energy prices, but we're very reliant on imported uh, energy, particularly of, of natural gas, which hasn't which hasn't helped. Um, we've also got uh, quite a big reliance on imported food, and food prices have been going up. Uh, Brexit probably not helping, but there are a lot of other factors at play as well. Uh, and then, and also, and you know, again. You could argue whether Brexit is related to this, but uh, quite a tight labour market. So wages have been going up uh, as well. So the UK has some inflation issues. But as I say, I think as the year goes on, uh, it will come down. Um, In terms of, you know, are we going into a recession like Germany? Again, slightly different economic situation. But I think um, the worry is that the Bank of England's got to get got to get a handle on inflation it's got to bring it down and the market currently expects them to push rates all the way up to five and a half percent uh towards the end of the year now that that might they might not need to go that far in the end but i mean i think if they do um people will be looking at their mortgage bills and uh and, and thinking where where can they cut back spending and the rest of their sort of household spending so i think um yeah there is certainly a danger that uh the, the economy which is kind of flatlining at the moment may uh, may may sort of have negative growth at some point. Thank you, Richard. And as touched upon, we have seen a sharp decline in global energy prices. And over the past year, Brent crude has steadily fallen from over $120 a barrel to around 76 at the end of last week. And thankfully, we are seeing those filtering through to the petrol pump prices and global inflation figures. Uh, James, just to start off with and bring us right up to to. Date. There was an OPEC Plus meeting over the weekend. Did anything meaningful come out of that meeting, perhaps in terms of supply changes that could have a material impact on the oil price going forward? Yes, indeed, Andrew. So there was a quite a meaningful cut announced by Saudi Arabia that really grabbed all the headlines because there really wasn't much to report beyond that. There was some minor details as it relates to the what we refer to as the quotas for some of the smaller producing countries. So 
UAE's quota for 2024 has been increased up in line with its productive capacity, whereas some of the African countries have had theirs revised down due to the impact of ongoing underinvestment. And then also, I think what was interesting is that basically there was no change from Russia. So production there continues pretty much unabated from where it was at the start of the year. And sadly, the sanctions have been quite ineffective at being able to constrain output there. It was a strongly held view that the, the sanctions would result in a fairly sharp decline in oil output from Russia, but that really hasn't been the case. So as we've seen um, demand easing throughout this year, we've seen now Saudi having to take the unilateral action to be able to, to try and rebalance the market by taking another million barrels out of the market. I always think it's quite funny, um, the comments that they make at, the, at these OPEC meetings, and in particular the, the comment that resonated with me that I thought was quite amusing was, um, the Saudi oil minister referred to as the Saudi lollipop on the top of the cake for oil speculators. So, um, yeah, it's always a very colourful commentary. But as you've seen with the uh, oil price reaction today, it's been quite muted because ultimately the, the response that Saudi Arabia are taking is in light of the fact that we see this continuing deterioration in demand as a result of um, the impact of higher rates and, and slowing economy. So it won't come as any surprise that the major oil companies performed very well during 2022 on, on the back of the high oil price. That The price has, however, fallen by over a third during the past 12 months. And given the long term political agenda to reduce CO2 emissions and move away from our dependence on fossil fuels, what does seem surprising is that the share price of the likes of BP and Shell have for the main part held on to these gains. And Jamie, there has been a round of results and updates from many of the oil majors. How have the recent results fared and what trends are you seeing emerge from those updates? And and more generally, what are your thoughts about the outlook for oil stocks, both over the short and longer term? So I think the main thing that we've seen occurring, and I think this is very much a European oil phenomenon, is this, um, I guess, tempering of ambitions to accelerate the energy transition and so just to be clear what i'm referring to here is that the u.s majors versus the european majors have taken quite different approaches to to the energy transition so another way of saying that was the amount of the decline in oil production that they were forecasting in their portfolios of the next the next 10 to 20 years was quite divergent u.s majors basically continuing to to produce as they were prior to, whereas Europe and European majors at least had outlined quite a different outlook. Now, what's happened in the most recent updates is that there's been a slight stepping away from that uh, by the European majors. And what's also interesting is that that's also been reflected in some of what were referred to as the AGM voting season um, shareholder vote outcomes. So that's most evident in what and what have been tabled as climate transition policies and by some of the more active shareholders trying to encourage the European majors to take a more aggressive approach to energy transition in light of things like the Ukraine war and these high oil prices and, and high gas prices, which have pushed the share prices up for many of these majors. There's actually been a, a step away from these aggressive policies. And indeed, the shareholder support for those policies has also declined too. So if anything, we've seen the majors um, start to lessen that focus and, and, and in many respects that seems to have been seem to be have been rewarded um, in the share prices and I think one of the reasons why that has been the case is that you know these businesses are effectively built now or at least uh, operating in an environment where they're trying to assume an oil price substantially lower than where they are where the price is today 
Many of them have got substantially reduced balance sheet gearing, which makes them significantly more defensive than they have been in the past. And then lastly, the, the action that we see just as an example of the weekend with Saudi Arabia coming in to take unilateral action to cut oil production from the market to support prices. That means that the earnings outlook, whilst it is going to continue to be under pressure and valuations don't really reflect that, hence why we have a, a somewhat um, conservative outlook on the sector, means that they could actually perform better than you might otherwise think if we head into a recession. And ordinarily, these businesses will go down quite sharply in the event of a sharply lower oil price. But these actions by OPEC to support prices, and like I say, that the fact that these businesses are substantially higher quality than they have been in the past may mean they're somewhat more resilient. And I think investors paired that with the view of the um, the slight step away from the rate of energy transition, investors are now warming to the prospects of energy as, an, an, as a sector which have be basically been devoid of any interest for the last um, eight to ten years. And finally, Jamie, the impact of high energy and oil prices is very visible through our gas and electricity bills and the cost of filling our cars at the petrol station. But what about the other major commodity markets and the mining sector? China is, of course, a major source of demand for many commodities. So how is the recent opening up of the Chinese market following the severe COVID lockdowns having an impact? I mean, what was very clear was that from the very first uh, indications that China was going to be easing or, in fact, completely removing all COVID restrictions in, in very short order, commodity bulk commodity prices rallied very, very sharply from somewhere around the early fourth quarter of last year and in many respects got ahead of themselves stock prices um, ran up in line with those bulk commodity prices but the recovery has been somewhat more bumpy and brittle and below expectations than somewhat worse i guess an outcome than people had held them to believe so stock prices subsequent to that and basically from like late january it would have been to about now have been under pressure so many of the miners despite having very strong share price performance early on in the recovery, have actually subsequently given back most of the gains, if not all of them. There's been some green shoots more recently, though, however. The um, China government is is obviously cognizant of the fact that um, this recovery in demand is, is sagging somewhat, and there's been some indications or at least some leaked press, press commentary suggest there might be some additional stimulus for the property sector. The property sector is key for GDP growth in China, and therefore it's not really up too unsurprising that we'd see some additional stimulus. I think what will be different this time, and this is consistent with commentary that I and my colleagues have sort of expressed before, is it's going to be somewhat more targeted than it has been in the past. So it's not a sort of building all the bridges to road and property uh, developments in the middle of nowhere as it has been in the past. But there's going to be, I think it's pretty clear, there is going to be a focus to try and regenerate the economy because it is sagging more so than expected. As a result of that, commodity prices have been uh, under pressure. I think what's interesting about the sector, however, is that there is good value to be found in there. And many of these commodities are going to be in demand from a, a sort of a cyclical recovery. Um, in China after that sort of stalled. But I think longer term as well, there's really important commodity demands are not going to be underpinned from a structural perspective by things like the energy transition. And within the mining sector, you can find lots of good opportunities um, that will give you very strong exposure to that long-term structural demand driver um, and companies with exceptionally good valuations and, and robust balance sheets too. So a somewhat defensive, um, high dividends, importantly too, to allow you to sort of wait 
to get paid to wait, at least, I guess, the best way of putting it, until we see some of the, the stronger demand forces coming through. Thank you, Jamie and Richard, for those great insights, and to you all for listening. Did you enjoy our discussions on the podcast today? We love to hear from our listeners, so please review the show now, wherever you're listening, and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilichibiot. To make sure you don't miss future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quilichibiot.com, where you can read the company market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Richard and Jamie for your time today and to you all for listening. See you next time.